What is up, everybody? This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Serving up the latest Everton news and stateside views. Let's kick things off. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope you've had a fantastic weekend leading up to a great win at Goodison Park, 3-1 against Brighton. So, James, what was your take on the lineup? Unchanged, sort of what we talked about a midweek, kind of expected. There's really no reason to change anything, uh, and we saw it play out over the course of the match. I think Silva has spoken about wanting to allow the same group of players to have a several games in a row together to sort of start to build that chemistry. And he's followed through and we've seen it play out. And frankly, it's gotten better every single game. It has. I think I really, I, I was kind of in the camp along with, it seems most supporters that Richarlison, um, you know, isn't really as strong up front as he is cutting in on the left, obviously is his favorite right foot and, and his fantastic ball control, but he's not as strong or as tall. He's not going to win you a ton of balls in the air. So I was, I was hoping to see Jank Tosin. I was, I was a little surprised at unchanged, but obviously um, it worked out for us. I thought Richarlison had a fantastic game. Yeah, he did, unquestionably. And and it's true there's been a lot of rumblings amongst the fan base about Richarlison playing as a striker because it's completely fair to say that his talents are best utilized out wide, but at the same time, he's still a very valuable and unique option for us up front in that he keeps the back line and the central defenders very honest because of his ability and pace to get in behind. So they kind of have to respect that whereas with a player like Jenk Tosin, they can really like get on his back, pressure him, um, and they know that he's not going to do a little flick and be by them in an instant like like what like Richarlison is. Right, that's very true. So we started off the half. Uh, Brighton had pretty much possession for the first couple minutes, and then next thing you know, uh, probably one of our first string of passes Sigurdsson misses a fantastic opportunity from like eight nine yards out yeah it's a good cross in and he had two really good chances early on that he wasn't able to finish neither of them I'd say are sitters or easy necessarily finishes but they're good chances in a great position and it just wasn't clicking and and early on it was like here we go uh kind of been the theme of the season our inability to finish the chances that come to us but um he made up for it later, and and it was just early on, it was great to see the chances coming, and it was like eventually we're going to have a breakthrough and, and something's going to happen positive because Brighton did a, did a good job early on. They actually tried to press and play out of the back a little bit, but that sort of went by the wayside uh, as things progressed. That's true. I think I think that within you know, 10, 15 minutes, we really started to settle down with possession, right? We ended the match about little over 60 percent which was like which was the theme right between both halves um so not too surprising there but it's it's nice to see us comfortable on the ball look nice and confident um specifically early on you saw both fullbacks coleman and lucas dina get really involved and they both looked really sharp today yeah it was fantastic Obviously, the rumbling surrounding Seamus Coleman. Does he deserve a starting spot? Is he past his best? Can he come back from the injury fully? Uh, I think he kind of put those concerns to rest today. 
it was good to see our balance that we've been lacking on either wing so far this season. It's been all the left, all going down the left, and we finally saw some options springing out from the right side. Coleman had a some really nice overlapping runs and played some great crosses into the box. And Walcott also, you know, the whole right side has come under fire over the last couple of weeks because of the general ineffectiveness, and it's been justified. But today, Walcott, not his best game, but I think it was probably his one of his better games for us this season. A uh, couple chances that he could have done better with, but his runs, his his pace was giving them a lot of problems at the back. He was making some good attacking runs. Agreed, absolutely. That kind of comes hand in hand, right? For for your fullbacks to have a good match, they've got to have a good amount of support from from the wingers in front of them. And I thought that, you know, Theo was really able to help Seamus Coleman today just in terms of, you know, that understanding, you know, can I, as Seamus Coleman, bomb up the right-hand side knowing that, you know, Theo is going to do the work to get back if I need him to, or, you know, he's going to keep, he's going to give me an option to pass. And I thought that their understanding was fantastic. As you said, um, Walcott had a bunch of really, really good positive runs. Um, it seemed like his decision-making today was better than it has been. He had plenty of, he had plenty of, uh, um, possibilities to cut the ball back or cross the ball ball in like far post. So I thought that was good as well. Overall, um, I don't know. I, I think on the, on the left-hand side, right? Lucas Dina and Bernard, um, Bernard was, I think this is his third match in a row, kind of struggling a bit. Yeah, he had a hard time today. He came on. It's it's un, almost unfair because he came on and was so good so early. And so I think people's expectations have been really set very high. And he's and based on where he, his pedigree, it's also very high. I think teams are starting to understand the type of player he is. He's not going to certainly not going to out, you know, physical physic beat anyone with his physicality. Uh, and so he kind of relies on the tricks in his pace and it just wasn't coming off for him today. He tried a couple takeovers and he just, it, he just gets stuffed. Like the last three games we've seen it, he'll try a little something clever and just get stuck and fall over. Um, and he doesn't really have the strength to, to, to power through players. Um, and so it wasn't his best game. And yeah, he's, he's on a bit of a downturn, um, but still he was And one of the other things that kind of was a red flag for me was he would get the ball and he didn't necessarily have that desire to attack. It looked like he would get the ball and kind of sit on it and look to see what played out rather than, all right, I have the ball. I'm on right outside the 18 or I'm on the wing. I'm going to look to attack, be aggressive and see, make them make the defense come out and play me. Um, and so that, yeah, not his best game, but still Luca Dean on the left-hand side overlapping was amazing today. Uh, probably his best game this season. I'm going to say. I might have to agree with you there. He was, his crosses looked pretty good. Um, defending. He was superb. Positioning was fantastic. Like, I can't imagine playing as as Coleman or Lucas Digne in in terms of in that system, right? Because again, they sit up like on average at the halfway line, and although the you know the squad is is built to um, cater to that, 
it's still, you know, like how, how much ground do they have to cover every match? And, you know, they, they literally, I mean, this is any player, but they cannot afford even half a second of a lapse in concentration because, you know, if you, if, if one player gets a step on you, it might be over, especially in a league like the premier league where the, where the quality is, is pretty high across the board, but Overall, right the the story of the first half was was definitely um, was definitely shuttling the ball out wide, trying to get the wingers involved, um, and next thing you know, we we clear the ball out of the box, and Gilfie Sigurdsson just drives up up the pitch, right, hands it off to or well, not not literally hands it <laughs> off, right, um, <laughs> wrong sport, short pass to Bernard, uh, receives the ball back. And then waits about two seconds before just a perfectly weighted ball to Richarlison and a fantastic left-footed finish over the keeper. Amazing. It was the best team goal we've scored all season, I think. The corners, well-documented, been an issue for us all season. But also our ability to, to push teams on the counter and when we've gone away, that's sort of been the way we've played. And then this particular corner provided a great opportunity for us to attack with pace. Sigurdsson, like you said, looks to get up immediately, press, push forward. And yeah, Bernard running wide, gets the ball, great little one-two, and then a beautifully weighted pass and a incredible finish from Richarlison. First touch, rockets it high, really nothing the keeper can do about it. And we're up 1-0 and we're flying. Yeah, and he and he looks like he really relished the fact that he scored there too because it's been I think it's been a couple matches. And you know, that there in the first half was his fifth goal of the season which you know puts him in pretty good company. And then, you know, next thing you know, Brighton gets a corner. They pass it short, swing it into the back post, and zonal marking fails us. Kurt Zuma gets beat up top and it's 1-1 and I just you just kind of sink because you're thinking like, okay, they just, you know, we, we are going to rue the fact that we did not take those chances earlier on. And it's now one, one. It's extremely frustrating because it's the same thing again. It seems like every time we make a mistake, it's a, it's the same. You can categorize it in the same way. The defending the back post on set pieces has probably cost us. I don't know the exact count, but three or four goals so far this season off of corners. They do a you know clever little short pass and allow the the player to swing it in from a better angle. And to be fair, Dunk was is a Dunker Duffy that scored a Dunk right, and then um, right. Dunk. Yeah, and so he does a good job. Zuma is right on him. It's it's a pretty good finish from him, but we still have to do better on those types of plays. Right, I agree. It's it's just disappointing, you know. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Yeah. And we <laughs> and then we go into the half even and it's like, well, we absolutely deserve to be on top here. So it's just a, it was a frustrating first half because we looked so good and yet the result was even, you know, effectively. Yeah. I mean, I will say, though, at halftime, you know, and we talked about it a little bit, but like that was the first match I can remember in a long time where we go in tied at halftime, especially after conceding. And I feel confident that we will win the match. Yeah, I agree. 
I think it speaks to how well we played in the first half and the fact that we had so many chances that we didn't convert. And it was just like, okay, well, if we come out and play the same way and don't give up a fluke goal off of a set-piece corner, then we'll be okay because eventually the chances, it's just inevitable that they're going to start going in if we create enough. Theoretically, you know, law of averages, you have to score. Um, so, yeah, it, going in a half felt good, but at the same time there was just that little little bit of doubt where it's like, okay, we're they're poised to get another cheap goal, a Glen Murray tap in, those types of things, and then they can just sit deep and see the game out. Right. I think so we come out in the second half and I'm the only thing I'm really worried about is we saw Richarlison like roll his ankle. Yeah. And I thought he was coming off immediately, but he stuck in there. Um and you know, I'm thinking going into the second half, like, okay, we might see him change just because, you know, he might say, okay, I want to finish out the half and, and see what happens. But it was unchanged. We come out. We looked strong immediately, which is has been the case. It's been the case all season. Somehow, whatever, whatever Marco Silva does, he's able to rile the boys up and they come out and they always look confident and they look even better. Next thing you know, um, Andre Gomez, well, actually, Andre Gomez didn't even uh, didn't even pass the ball. I think it was Kyle that got a touch to it. Mm-hmm. Follows Seamus Coleman, and he decides, why not? And buries it in the bottom left-hand corner to make it 2-1 pretty early on. It's a great finish. It's a testament to how well he played, and he finally got... You wouldn't expect him to score, but goes between the defender's legs and into the hey, bottom hey, corner. Hey, hey. They don't call him Seamus Goleman for nothing. <laughs> 60,000, man, 60,000, yeah. It was a great strike, and again, nothing the keeper could really do. Uh, Just going back to the Richarlison rolled ankle thing, he is the king so far of giving me a heart attack during games for reasons outside of the actual open play. It's like he's had a couple where he's done a high leg kick and he's gone down clutching his groin. Now it's the ankle, which upon seeing the replay, it looked like it was – pretty horrible but he seemed to be able to walk it off must have you know flexible ankles i guess but it's hard because i love richarlison but the one the one critique and you see it when we have the quote-unquote neutral announcers uh you could make an argument that they're not so neutral and may be biased against us but he does flop a lot and i think it's just something that we have to kind of accept he does embellish he does and it's Expected it's part of the game at this point, but it's it is kind of annoying because he went down and it's like every time he goes down, it's a worry, but he always seems to be okay. So that's the important thing overall. But it is kind of funny how we can get on other teams players who flop all the time, and yet Richarlison, if you look at it objectively, has embellished his fair share of uh fouls this season. That's true. That's true. It is annoying. I mean, as as an Evertonian, you you generally speaking don't like to see it at all. Um but at the same time, it I think that he's he's kind of done it a tiny bit less than he did maybe the first couple of matches because the first couple of matches were borderline ridiculous. Um and when I say that I mean like I think it's just part of his mindset. Like if, if I see, you know, a defender coming in from the back or like if I get, you know, if I get knocked on the ankle, like I'm going to sell it, which is fine. 
he's not rolling around like he's dying right like Neymar anymore but he he's he's done it before I will say on the commentators you know what was really annoying me was at this point in time right we're two one up and they're talking about how bright how good Brighton have been today oh. and how they they've really you know they've really brought the match to us and you just think that the game is still is you know still there for the taking and I'm thinking to myself if this if roles were were reversed whether we were at Goodison Park or not and we played that way we set up that way going away from home it would just it would just be never ending no matter what commentator you got they'd be talking about how poor we were how we have no ambition you know uh, i i can i can i can see them now talking about how we look unimaginative and so that was just like grinding my gears i think that's probably fair but at the same time I would expect them to hold us to a slightly different standard than they do Brighton and Hove Albion, just given our, our stature as a club versus theirs. Their expectations are far off of our ambitions. Um, but yeah, I mean, the commentating is constantly frustrating as an Everton fan, just because we're kind of, we're almost sometimes held to the standard of like a big six team. And then when things start to go wrong, it just, it's reflected in the commentary, but Enough on that. I mean, the result on the pitch was was good enough, and um, yeah. So Coleman's goal, and then and uh, what the most annoying part of the commentators criticizing, you know, or or lauding praise on Brighton is that they never looked like creating anything from open play in any capacity. Exactly. Like they were never. They had, I think, five shots, three on target. To be fair, Jordan Pickford really had nothing to do all game. Um, and so, no, I, I don't think they played well, but in it, I guess it shows up in the final result. Yeah. I think, you know, this goes back to what we, what, what I asked you midweek, you know, Glenn Murray's been on a tear, right? He has, um, he has six goals to himself in the season thus far in the league. I mean, and you know, I asked you, okay, who, which center back do you think he posts up on? And you chose the right answer, Michael Keane. And I actually thought like Michael Keane never got bullied. Um, it was, it was, it was difficult for him when a ball was was being um, when they when they would hit like a long ball to Glenn Murray. It was difficult for him to head it out when when he's got Glenn Murray in front of him like posting up. But otherwise, he didn't get out muscled. He didn't get bullied in any way. He never got turned. Um, so I thought, in terms of you know defending we did really well too. Yeah. In my notes, I, I, I have Zuma and Keen and there's nothing next to either of their names, but I think that that's just a testament to the fact that they were rock solid in every way, shape and form. Um, and it's kind of been the case. Now we, we see a very strong partnership between the two and it's only gotten stronger. There was really never any time, never, no major mistakes, winning a lot in the air, looking strong, and ha- and seeing a lot of the ball too, especially Kurt Zuma, uh, his enthusiasm in bringing the ball forward, driving the ball forward when Brighton decides to sit back, or opposition in general decides to sit back, is great. And yeah, the whole defense was a very very strong unit overall today. Yeah, speaking of Kurt Zuma and driving the ball forward, I've been a big fan of Kurt Zuma. So so uh, general just general sentiment here: I despise Chelsea. But 
I've been a fan. I've I've been a big fan of Kurt Zuma. I watched a video maybe two or three years ago. One of my buddies is a Chelsea fan, and it was a video of Kurt Zuma and I think David Luiz maybe uh, and someone else, and they're playing FIFA. And Kurt Zuma, believe it or not, uh, thinks that he's good enough to play as a striker. So he always <laughs> plays himself as a striker on FIFA, which is hilarious. That's awesome. Super, super um, side note there. But either way, I love Kurt Zuma, and I was super excited for him to come to Everton just solely based on the fact that he has a fantastic personality. He's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's a good little anecdote. And... <laughs> He kind of broke through the ranks when he was younger at Chelsea and was, I believe, Jose Mourinho hailed him as the long-term replacement to John Terry, which is incredibly high praise. And he looks the part for us so far. He looks all around the pace, the strength, not ever. His positioning is great. His passing ability is great. Um, and I say sign him up. I know it's hard because he's on like a five, it seems you know, five, six, seven, I think it's five, but you know, a long-term deal at Chelsea. So any deal that we reach would be, you know, astronomically expensive, I'd imagine. But he's, I think he's imperative to what we've done so far this season, uh, that core partnership. And as we continue to move forward, it, I just think it's only going to get stronger as they get to understand each other better. Yeah, I agree. So it'll be interesting. Um, It'll be interesting next week, but before we get there, next thing you know, um, in terms of the match, right? We're we're sitting there. You text me immediately. You're like, you know, we need another goal to bury this, and that's just the anxiety ridden Everton fan, right? Um, and literally, I think within sixty seconds, maybe a couple minutes, um, there is a poor back pass from Dunk. Richarlison intercepts it, knocks it right around Shane oh. Duffy, which was beautiful. What a touch. It was ridiculously beautiful. He rounds the keeper, slots it in as calm and as confident as you'd like, and it's 3-1. Yeah, he heard my he heard my text. He, over, he heard it being sent and said, order up, goal coming up. <laughs> uh, re- really poor back pass. But he has a lot to do when he first when the ball is coming in and we he intercepts it. The touch is pristine; it's perfect, and you can see uh, Duffy's head just drop as soon as he knows because he knows he's beaten, and he's probably pondering every life decision he's made that caused him to end up in that exact position. <laughs> like, <laughs> what have I done to deserve this? And then, yeah, once Richarlison was in, it was like there's I was certain that he'd score. Uh, great touch around the keeper all alone and just taps it in. And then it's over game set match three points for Everton. And it was like, this is, this is what we were hoping for when we signed Marco Silva. And this is all the things that Everton fans have been crying out for, for the last few seasons. And the momentum is building. And we were talking about this before we recorded. It's like, you could make an argument that every single game we've played this season, we deserve to get something out of, even the ones that we didn't get anything out of. Uh, and we did get something out of this, and it's we spoke about this in midweek. It was very important for us to be able to get a win at home against the side that we should beat because we struggled against West Ham, and uh, we had another draw against Huddersfield. And so this was very important step where – we saw a lot of the ball and we were able to break the teams, break the opposition down. 
and really dominate from start to finish, essentially. Yeah, I mean, in terms of importance, right, whether we like to accept it or not, us and Brighton were ninth and 11th place coming into this match. So in reality, direct competitors, if they're not at the bottom of the table, if they're not maybe lower than 15th, then unfortunately, currently, direct competitors. So it was extremely important to get the win, specifically at home. Now, you know, I think I think that uh, we're going to be hard-pressed to say that Richarlison is not going to be retaining his place up top um, the next match or two, right? Because he, I think, you know, what this might have been his third match in a row, maybe fourth Yeah, up top. Was it third? I want to say third. Right. And, you know, first two, not really feeling it, but he made it work today. He looked really, really good. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting. So let's see. Um, James, who is your man of the match? And I, I'm not sure why I'm asking this question, but <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it picks itself. It's clearly Richarlison. Two goals, looked a threat all game, powerful, pacey. His best game so far this season, in my opinion. Uh, so I think that that's a very easy pick. But I'm also going to say Luca Dean is my second choice. Just his overlapping play. At times he was out, you know, at the, there's one point where he made, he broke up a, a Brighton counterattack when he was on, on the, in a right back position. So he was all over the place, overlapping, strong on the ball, good crosses into the box, uh, some good corners. So second for him, but Richarlison is the easy pick for man of the match for me. Richarlison for sure. And the crazy thing is, was his work rate, right? Um, his work rate, you know, usually like Sigurdsson, you know, Seamus Coleman, like Ghana, they are hailed, like known to the fan base as having ridiculous work rate. But Richarlison might have trumped all of them today. He did not stop. I mean, he, he it was 3-1, he wanted 4-5-1. And that's exactly the type of, of um, mindset you need to have. And so that was awesome to see. In terms of second, I'm going to go with Ghana. Yep. Because Ghana, I think, had a really good match today he broke up a ton of play um he was able to redistribute although you know most of his redistribute redistribution was was you know to to zuma or excuse me to gomez or or maybe even shuttling to each center back to get it further out wide but he played his he played his role he did it well um and you know just throw a stat at you right on the on the official premier league app Ghana has 55 tackles in the league this season. Second place to Juan Basaka of Crystal Palace, who has 41. So Ghana has 14 tackles more than second place in the league right now. He's amazing. And 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 when you hear that, right, you know, you have Juan Basaka in second and Diame from, from Newcastle in third. And usually you see these types of stats, right? We talked about, um, clearances for, for Brighton, right? The only thing they had on us today was clearances. And you say, okay, tackles are on the same sense that a lot of the the worst teams, lower end of the table teams, are going to have better stats in these categories because they have more defending to do. Right. In Donna's case, that's just simply not true. He's just an animal. He's relentless. 
again, like I didn't put a ton of notes next to his performance in particular because he, the precedent that he set for performances is so high that when he has a game like this, it's almost just like business as usual at this point. It's what we expect. And he was immense today. I thought the whole midfield was really clicking and we're continuing to see, again, the benefits of playing the same team over and over again as they continue to build chemistry. Andre Gomez um, wasn't dropping as deep as he has in the past couple of games. I think Ghana was coming deeper. I think that's just because of the nature of the way that Brighton was set up. But all three midfielders had great games. Really not a bad performance besides Bernard, uh, who was below par today. But everyone else I thought was excellent and a deserved win. Yeah, I have to agree. Hopefully hopefully Bernard will uh, will be able to you know get himself up to pace in the league. I mean, we got to keep in mind, dude was playing in the Ukrainian league for the last X amount of years. So although he had Champions League experience, you know, it's it's not the same. You know, playing four or five difficult matches a season is not the same as as biding your trade in in the uh, Ukrainian league. So yeah. Um, and just one last point I'd like to make would be that so Richarlison has six goals in the league this season, right? Richarlison has six goals and Sigurdsson has five. Below them, we have no one close, right? DCL has two, along with Tosin and, and Theo Walcott. Now, here's the issue: if we really want to, if we really want to press for fifth and sixth, then you're going to need your wingers specifically to step up, because you know you need Theo Walcott, you need Bernard, maybe Lookman. You're going to need these wide players to. Um, produce on on the stat sheet more than they are now it's getting there it's definitely not as bad as last season but it's still pretty telling and the reason I say this is because we're sitting in ninth place with 18 points next week at Chelsea if we were to if we were able to pull off a victory we have the possibility of going straight to sixth which is ridiculous yeah, and it just speaks to what could have been had we some of the other matches, you know, gone our way. But again, I just want to sort of go back to some of the individual performances. You know, Bernard didn't have his best game, but I still think it's important that as a fan base, we don't get too reactionary over one or two or even three games. Uh, we saw that play out with Coleman, uh, the negativity, and then his celebration, which a little cryptic, might have been a. Uh, the hands over the ears, a little shout to some of the, the scrutiny that he's been under. But like, just because a player has two or three bad games doesn't mean they're a bad player. Doesn't mean they should be dropped permanently. Um, and so I think that's important to keep in mind as we go forward. Like Bernard could come out at Chelsea and have a barn burner and destroy, destroy uh, the opposition. So you never really know. Um, it's everything's temporary. You have to take it game by game. And I think that that's, the most important thing to remember as we go forward. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, as we talked about, it's always much more fun to record after a victory. I'm still salty about last week. I hope all of you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. Um, Please look out for our midweek episode for a Chelsea pre-match. We'll be traveling away at Stamford Bridge. 
So it, it's going to be a tough one, but it's going to be exciting and a lot of potential there. Otherwise, have a fantastic rest of your rest of your weekend. Thanks so much for tuning into the American Toffee Podcast. It is available on all major platforms. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. That would help us out a ton. And follow us on Twitter as well at USA Toffee Pod. Until next time, come on, you blues.